0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is Romans the 12th chapter where my Bible is opened up. Romans chapter 12. I'll bid you to be finding a Bible and be turning it over to Romans chapter 12 as well. You're going to be looking right there at the top of that, chapter Momentarily. As you're turning to Romans chapter 12, I'll echo the welcome that was extended just a few moments ago. It is great to see everybody this morning. So happy that you are here to our members and to our guests. We do have some guests in attendance and we're just really glad that you've come today and uh, we're encouraged by you and we hope that that encouragement is being reciprocated as we worship God together here in spirit and in truth. Let me encourage you to be back this evening at 6 o'clock, Brother Kane is going to be preaching a lesson that I personally have been wanting to preach for the benefit of our young people for quite some time now, but I came to the realization that that lesson might actually resonate a little bit deeper and a little bit better If it came from another young person, a young person just talking to other young people. And so come back tonight at 6 o'clock. Cain's going to be talking about some very important things, I believe. Hope you're looking forward to that. But I hope you're also looking forward right now to Romans chapter 12. Let's get to it in verses 1 and 2. In Romans 12, in verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me introduce to you this morning a fictitious character. We're going to call this fellow Hank. Hank was one of the very first people that the new preacher met whenever he got to town and got to the local congregation. And as he got to know Hank, it didn't take him very long to figure out that Hank was an old, crusty, grumpy guy. And as the new preacher kind of made his way around the congregation and got talking with other folks, he came to find out that Hank also, once upon a time, was a young, crusty, grumpy guy. Hank's just one of those guys. He was one of those guys that just complained and just had a sour disposition about everything. And I mean he just had opinions about all kinds of stuff, just down thoughts about the weather, even if it was sunny and 72 degrees outside. He complained about his job, complained about his friends, complained about his family. You name it, Hank was complaining about it. In fact, Hank ultimately went to complaining about, of all things, the church's sound system. Too loud, Hank said. It's too loud in here. He'd go around after services. Didn't you think it was too loud in here today? Boy, that speaker was way too loud. He would even go to visitors. Hey, what would you think about those speakers today? It got so bad that finally the elders had to just sit him down and say, Hank, stop it. Stop doing that. Stop complaining about the sound system. We've checked it out. We've looked into it. Everything is cool here. And everybody kind of thought that, well, that would take care of that. The elders talking to him, that would put all that to rest. And Hank would just go find something else to fuss and complain about. But then one afternoon, that new preacher, he was in his office at the church building. And he heard a knock on the front door. So he went to the front door and he opened it up and there stood there stood an agent from OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Hazard Administration, the people who ensure workplace safety. And that OSHA inspector seemed just a little bit embarrassed to even be there. And he kind of stammered and got out that, well... Um, you need to know some things about sound levels in church buildings, decibel levels and things of that nature, that jet engines are here and rock concerts are here and, and church building sound systems need to be right about here. And finally the preacher realized, Hank called OSHA! Why are you kidding? Hank called OSHA and had complained about the church's sound system. Now... What's the problem in that little story? Well, somebody maybe says, well, there's lots of problems going on there, and I get that. But I think that our text in Romans chapter 12 really identifies the chief problem. Verse 2, be ye transformed. Here's Hank. Here's a guy who had been baptized. Here's a guy who was a member. Here's a guy who'd been going to church three times a week for years upon years upon years, but Hank hadn't changed. Hank wasn't any different now than he was before he was baptized. There wasn't any transformation going on there. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 seems to envision a radical change of life that Hank seemingly never quite made. In fact, if you were looking at an actual Greek text of Romans chapter 12, the term in verse 2 that is translated transformed is actually the word "metamorphos." It is the word that describes Jesus when He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. How Jesus was changed. Something visible about Him was transfigured. Jesus was metamorphosed. And it is that very same word that is used in science to describe what happens to a caterpillar when they spin themselves into that cocoon and after a certain period of time has elapsed, they emerge, they come out as something completely different, changed entirely, they are now a butterfly. A visible, tangible transformation. And we like that idea. When we think about that in spiritual terms... Whenever we think about Christianity and the idea of transformation, I think we're pretty sure that we know what that looks like. That would be, for example, Saul, the persecutor and ravager of the church, who is changed, he's transformed, and he becomes Paul, the apostle, the preacher of the gospel. Or that would maybe be in more modern times, that would be like the drug dealer, or the prostitute, who learns the truth and they give all of that up, and are baptized into Christ, and they they begin, begin living an entirely new way of life. And we like that. We like that idea when we think about those very dramatic sorts of stories. But you know what? For many Christians, maybe for too many Christians, transformation is not part of their makeup. And it is not part of who and what they are. Their Christianity looks a whole lot more like Hank's, where that caterpillar never quite becomes the butterfly. Why is that? What's the deal there? Why is it that God's people are not being transformed, morphed, that's the shortened word of that metamorphosis, being morphed into what God would have us to be? If you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, you know... You know, Josh, there's been times in my life where I've just kind of felt like I'm a, like I'm a spiritual caterpillar. Maybe even right now, that's kind of how I feel. I'm still in that caterpillar stage. Can I just ask you, what are you doing? What are you doing to move that process along so that you can be transformed? Well, this morning I want to talk about that. I want to talk about true transformation. I want to talk about the gospel's power to quite literally change you. And while this lesson, you might guess, this lesson would certainly be beneficial for a new Christian or for a newish Christian, make no mistake about it, this lesson is for folks at every level of spiritual maturity. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian this more, I want all of us to be thinking about where we are in that transformation process. To begin that, I think we need to start by actually just getting some, we need to get some wrong ideas about transformation. We need to get those out of the way. I want to tell you a couple of things that just are not going to work in order to bring about transformation in our lives. First and foremost, you need to understand that transformation does not occur by just collecting up a bunch of Bible knowledge. You know, we are very pro-Bible here. I would like to think that's one of the things that sets us apart from other so-called churches in this world. We often refer to the Bible as our road map to heaven. And I like that. I think that's a great little metaphor. That the Bible's going to show us how to get from earth to heaven. And so what that means is that, that means we need to read the Bible. And we need to study the Bible. And we need to study it some more. And we need to learn the Bible. We need to memorize the Bible. We need, to, we need to think about the Bible. We need to master the content of this book. And of course, all of that is true and all of that is very, very important. And I believe that we as a church, we stress that. And I as a preacher, I preach that. We do all kinds of things to promote the reading and the understanding of God's Word because we know that the Bible is critically important in our journey to heaven. But I'm afraid sometimes that the way that that maybe kind of comes across in people's ears is that we need to read the Bible almost as if we're kind of cramming for the final exam. Do you know what I mean here? That somehow on the day of judgment what's going to happen is is there's going to be this big long line, you're going to be standing in that line. And when the time finally comes that you get to the front of that line, you're going to be standing face to face with Jesus or Peter Or maybe your Bible class teacher from when you were a kid. And in that moment, they're going to ask you three questions. Three questions. Where was Jesus born? Who was Aaron's brother? And then thirdly, recite the genealogy of Jesus backwards, hopping on one foot, or some other kind of crazy thing that we just think we really got to study and cram for because that's going to get us into heaven. And of course, if you don't know the answer to those things, well... Well, sorry, you don't get to go to heaven. You're eternally lost. Well, I want to say again, there's not any doubt, the Bible is important. The Bible is our roadmap from earth to heaven, and we do need to know what the Bible says. But would you look in Matthew the 25th chapter with me, please? In Matthew chapter 25, can I show you a judgment scene that doesn't nearly resemble a final exam? It's not some big quiz where you're going to be quizzed on all your Bible knowledge. Instead, Matthew 25 paints this picture, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats will be on the left. Ah, now hold on. I want to know about those goats. What is it that causes the goats... To be brought to the left and be summoned to eternal destruction. Drop down to verse 41. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, why is that? Why are these people sent to the fires of hell? Is it because, is it because they didn't know enough about the Bible? Is it because they weren't able to pass some kind of a Bible test or a Bible quiz? No, verse 42. I was hungry. You gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. Naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Well, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? Then he'll answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment with the righteous into eternal life. Would you please notice that Jesus does not say, now I tell you what, the reason that this group over here, the reason that they're not getting into heaven, is because they, they just don't know enough. They don't know the Bible well enough. They don't have enough Bible knowledge. In fact, their Bible IQ is really, really poor. And you know what? That's the reason they're not getting into the pearly gates. That's not what Jesus says here. What Jesus does talk about, though, are people who were not transformed. People who were not transformed in their relationship to the Lord and in their relationship to others. Jesus talks about people who were selfish and self-centered in how they viewed the world. He's talking here about people who did not serve and did not help others in time of need. In fact, these people might very well have known lots of Bible. They may have been Bible whizzes. They may have been Bible scholars. But you know what? All of that Bible knowledge didn't lead to genuine transformation in how they lived their lives. And as a result, all of that Bible knowledge was really for naught. You and I cannot trick ourselves into thinking that, oh, I know a whole lot about the Bible. I know way more than those folks out there in the world. I know way more than those denominational folks over there. Don't fool yourself into thinking that Bible knowledge is somehow a substitute true transformation. Just like the second idea. Don't be fooled by the idea that faking it is somehow a reasonable substitute for transformation. You know, what do many people do whenever that transformation doesn't really seem to be happening? You you know, when some Christians, I've been a Christian now for a few years and it doesn't really seem like I've transformed all that much. What do a lot of people start doing? A lot of people just pretend they just pretend that they've been transformed. And you know what? That's not hard to do. Especially in a congregation like Lakeside. That wouldn't be hard to do at all. You think about it. This congregation, people who make up this group, we are spread out all over kind of the Lake Cumberland, south-central Kentucky region of the state. We've got folks not just here in Somerset, and every corner of Somerset. We've got folks on out to Burnside, to the Bronston area. Keep going a little bit that way. And we've got folks that are in the Eubank area, Science Hill. We've got members that are living all the way in Nancy. We've got folks in Crab Orchard. We've got folks in Russell Springs. We've got folks even all the way in Columbia. We're just kind of spread out all over the map. And you know what that means? That means that throughout the week, as you go to work and as you go to school and as you go and do things in the various communities in which you live, the rest of us don't know how you're living. We don't. We're not there to be able to see you and what you're doing every hour of the day. We don't know whether you're living like a pagan, whether your Christianity is just joyless and sour like Hank, whether you just complain all the time. We don't know whether you, you know, do drugs and drink when you're not here amongst us. We don't know if you're some hypocritical person who just trashes and bashes the church all the time. We don't know what you're doing when you're outside of our presence. Because, of course, when you're here on Sunday morning, well, well, you look great. You look like a real transformed person on Sunday morning. look at us. We're all dressed up, got our ties, got our nice shirt on, got our dresses on. We all came in the building today, we're toting our Bibles, and we've all got a smile on our face, and we're shaking hands, and good to see you, glad that you're here. We're going around and doing all of those kinds of pleasantries. After all, we just just kind of assume that you must be a changed person, you must be a transformed person. After all, you came to the meeting of the transformed, right? Yet it is entirely possible that even in the midst of all of that, You could just be faking it. You could just be pretending for all of us. And you know what? Pretending and faking it, that'll work. It will. It'll work if your sole purpose is to fool us. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to fool the Lord. Would you look in Mark the 12th chapter with me, please? In Mark chapter 12... Jesus speaks about attempting to to be all about external appearances of righteousness. Jesus makes it clear that the Lord's not going to be fooled by that. In Mark chapter 12, I'm reading here beginning in verse 38. In Mark 12 and in verse 38, Jesus says there, He says, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and they like the greetings in the marketplaces. They have the best seats in the synagogues. They love the places of honor at the feast. These are people who, boy, they just look very, very... They look very transformed, don't you know? But Jesus says, verse 40, they devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, they make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. You fool others all you want, but Jesus says you can't fool the Lord. And can I just remind you that even if you do attempt to try and pull off some kind of a, some kind of a double life, some kind of dual existence, can I remind you that sooner or later, sooner or later you're probably going to be exposed. Just ask Achan in Joshua chapter 7. Ask Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Ask any of the more modern examples of that. The celebrities in Hollywood or the politicians in Washington who were harboring secret sins and were putting on a great face, but, but they were eventually exposed. You know, the truth of the matter is, caterpillars who try to glue on butterfly wings, they usually end up crashing spectacularly. And can I just add this as well? I actually think this is maybe the most important thing to say about people who are faking it. Can I just say right here that faking it, it is no substitute for the joy and the wonder and the delight that comes from really and truly being transformed. Pretending and faking, that is a poor and it is an unworkable substitute. And so we want to put these things, we want to put those things away. Let's put those to bed. The Bible certainly does play a huge role in our quest from here to heaven. It plays a huge role in our transformation as well. But this is not about becoming the master of Bible minutia. And furthermore, pretending that we are changed when we actually are not changed, that's not going to work. What we want and what we're shooting for is real transformation to change from a person that is centered on sin and self to being a person who is more loving, a person who is more truthful, a person who is more compassionate, a person who is more joyful. We want that. We want true transformation. How do we do that? How is that achieved? How do we accomplish that? Well, can I suggest to you just some very down-to-earth, very practical things that I think really help us to have that kind of transformation. First and foremost, I think it needs to start by us knowing where we're going. We need to know the direction that we're headed in. We need to know the goal of transformation. Look in Galatians chapter 4 with me, please. In Galatians chapter 4, I want to call your attention to just a little phrase, a little expression that Paul uses here in Galatians chapter 4, that I think provides us the direction that we need. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul is very concerned about the Galatian brethren, that they might be led away from the truth, they might be led away by false teachers, and as a result, they're not going to be transformed. They're not going to be what the Lord wants them to be. And so he says in Galatians 4 verse 19, he says, My little children, I am in anguish of childbirth, notice this, until Christ is formed in you. That's it. Until Christ is formed in you. That is the fundamental of Christianity that we must never ever forget. And yet I fear that for way too many Christians, it's something that they never ever get. That Christianity at its core, somebody comes up out of the waters of baptism and they ask, hey, what am I supposed to do now? What is life all about now? My answer is simple. Your life needs to be all about remolding, reshaping, refocusing, transforming me to be like Him. That is Christianity at its essence. That I want to be like Jesus. If a waitress is rude to me at the restaurant, I want to handle that like Jesus would handle that. If a friend betrays me and does things behind my back, I want to handle that like Jesus would handle that. If somebody gossips about me, I want to respond to that in the way that Jesus would respond to that. If life is going great, if everything is grand and wonderful, I want to deal with that the way that Jesus would deal with that. I want to live like Christ. I want Christ to be formed in me. In 1 John, please. In 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, John takes up this theme. And in fact, it is a recurring theme throughout the New Testament. In 1 John chapter 2, I'm reading here in verse 5. In 1 John 2 and in verse 5, John says, Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I really cannot emphasize this point enough. If you don't remember anything else out of this lesson, in fact, if you remember this point and only this point, it will be more than enough. Christianity is not just about going to church. Christianity is not just about doing a bunch of religious things. Christianity is not about going around and acting religious. Christianity is about being like Christ. Now, if I'm being like Christ, is that going to affect where I am on Sunday morning? Yes, it will. If I'm being like Christ and I stub my thumb with a hammer, is that going to affect what comes out of my mouth, what words I say? Yes, it will. Will it affect how I treat the poor and the downtrodden and those who are less fortunate than me? Absolutely it will. But I need to understand, and you need to understand, that all of that, that is outward, and it only works when this starts... Within. That metamorphosis is within us. As we change inside, I change my mind. What did Romans 12 verse 2 say? The renewal of your mind. To live like Christ rather than to live like Josh and do what Josh wants to do. Being like Christ. Developing the heart of Christ. Having the mind of Christ. I'm here to tell you, it will change everything about a person As long as we keep that as our singular focus and purpose in life. As we're doing that, then surely, secondly, we would want to be also doing some measuring. In fact, I'm going to recommend that we do that measuring thing and we do it often. You know, kids love to do that measuring stuff. Kids get old enough and they start realizing how, I used to be little, but now I'm getting big. And so they come to Mama, maybe with a yardstick and with a marker, and they say, Mama, 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 measure me. And so Mama puts them back up against the wall, or maybe they're on the, the trim or the door facing there, and she sizes them up and then marks them off. And kids love seeing that because it lets them see, okay, this is where I am. This and they say, oh, this is where I used to be, and now this is where I am today. And of course, sometimes kids get so excited about that, they'll come back like the very next day and say, measure me again, but... Of course, a day, that's that's not really enough time to notice too much progress. But you know what? If you come back in a month or three months from now or six months from now, then yeah, we're definitely going to see some visible and tangible growth and change there. Now, if we can understand that about kids, then surely we can understand about that spiritually. Would you look in 1 Corinthians 11 with me, please? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11... This is a passage that we often hear at the table because it is a powerful instruction about the Lord's Supper. Because part of the Lord's Supper is that we measure ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 11, I'm reading in verse 28, there Paul says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The Lord's Supper involves self-examination, self-assessment. And I wonder if that self-examination that we do, I wonder if that's just kind of merely limited to the like the last seven days. You know, I'm measuring myself since the last time that I took the supper. But I wonder if kind of doing that kind of measuring, if that's really kind of almost the same as the kid who comes back the very next day wanting to be measured again. We're not going to see a whole lot of real noticeable changes in such a short period of time. And you know what? That can be discouraging when we don't see changes in our lives. When it's not really noticeable. People say, you know, I, just, I don't really feel like I'm being transformed. I really can't say that I've, I've made these changes. here. I don't really feel like much has changed in my life. Well, how about maybe we adjust our units of measurement a little bit? How about instead of measuring a week's progress, how about we change that up? Let me ask this question. How long has it been since you were baptized into Christ? Go ahead, I'll wait. You can do the math right now in your head. How long have you been a Christian? Get some kind of ballpark, solid number in your head. For me, next week is going to be 22 years since I obeyed the gospel. Now, for some of you, that number is going to be longer. You've been a Christian maybe for several decades now. Others of you, I know that that number is going to be a lot less, maybe just a few months or even just a few days. Now, I want you to think about that. You got a number? Think about when you started your walk with the Lord. Where are you right now? In the time that's passed, where are you now? Has there been some changes in that time? I would certainly hope so. There ought to be some changes in your life across that period of time. And if there are changes, and you notice those, you know what? You ought to be encouraged by that. You know, hey, I I, I, I used to do that. I can remember I used to do that, but, but now I don't do that anymore. I've been able to overcome that. Or you know what? Here was something that, yes, in the beginning, man, I really struggled with this. This particular temptation, it was just a thorn in my flesh, but now, now I've grown to the point that that's that's not nearly much of a problem for me. Or you know what? I used to not be able to do this, but, but now I can do this. I've, I've grown. I've, I've changed. When we think about that, that is tremendously encouraging, isn't it? And it ought to be. Of course, the other half of that equation is looking back and realizing some areas that, that still need to change. Here's some things that, Man, I need to really work on that. I've been a Christian for 10 years now, and I still haven't really gotten a grip on profanity. Man, I need to buckle down on that. Or, you know, I've been a Christian for 25 years now, and my temperament still hasn't been brought into conformity with the will of Jesus Christ. What am I going to do about that? I see some deficiencies here. I see there's a gap that's still there. What am I going to do to close that gap? Maybe the tougher question for us to ask ourselves is, what have I stopped working on? As I look back and I think about how far I've come, what areas of my life have I just kind of thrown in the towel? I've just given up on. I've just resigned myself to the fact that, you know what, it's too hard to make those changes. I'm never going to be able to do that. So I've decided I'm just going to fake it like we talked about a moment ago. And I'm going to go to church on Sundays and I'm going to pretend to be transformed and I'm going to put on a big pretense for everyone what are you going to start doing right now to bring that area of your life into conformity with the Master? You see, as we measure ourselves, we're able to see not only where we've been, but we're able to really think clearly about where it is that we're trying to go. Sometimes we measure ourselves and we're going to be encouraged by that, and that's great. But other times we're going to measure ourselves And we're going to be challenged by what we find. And we need to be ready to rise to that challenge. Transformation only occurs when we've done some of that honest evaluation. As we're doing that measuring, can I also suggest, thirdly, that we would surely want to do some training. Look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm reading here in verse 7, as Paul writes to his young brother, the young preacher, In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says in verse 7, 1 Timothy 4 verse 7, Paul says, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Have you ever thought about training for godliness? You know, there's a big difference, isn't there, There's a big difference between trying to do something and training to do something. Everybody see the distinction there? There's a difference between trying to do something and now I'm actually training to do that something. How many of us here, for example, how many of us here could run a marathon this afternoon? I'm going to guess that most, if not all of us in this room are not gonna be able to run a marathon today. Now you could try to run a marathon today. You could try all you want, but I'm pretty positive in saying that just isn't going to happen. But what if, what if we trained for it? What if we did some stuff that got us ready to actually do that? What if we trained for it by, we hired a personal trainer and we changed up our diet. And we got serious about exercise. And we lost some weight. And we got the instruction that we needed. And we began walking regularly. Then we started walking some more. Then we started walking longer. Then we started walking some and running some. Then we started running more and walking less. And even by the end of it, we're running all of the way there. You could do it eventually, couldn't you? Oprah ran a marathon once before, okay? We could run a marathon if we trained for it. If you're trained, you can do it. Now, as neat as that would be to train for a marathon and be able to do that, can I ask you this? How much training are you doing for transformation? I'm not asking how much trying are you doing. I'm asking how much training are you doing. Training means doing certain specific activities that build us to be able to do something better. And so, for example, maybe maybe you have the Hank disposition. You're that sour, curmudgeonly, complaining person all the time. Maybe the training that you could do would consist of you sitting down and just writing down each day five things that God has blessed you with. And you just sit and you meditate upon those blessings. And each day at the conclusion of writing down and cataloging those five blessings... You stop and pause and you praise and you thank God in prayer for all of those provisions that He's made possible in your life. You start doing things like that, that'll start transforming you from being a curmudgeonly, bitter, complaining person to being a person that's got more gratitude. To being a person who is having a cheerful disposition. Or maybe maybe the training that you need to do is, maybe you recognize, I I need to be more evangelistic. Man, I just fall so far short of talking to people about the Lord and inviting people to to study the Bible and to come to church. I need to do better in that. I need to grow in that. Okay, what are some specific things you could do to train for that? Maybe what that means is that means I'm going to start this week by inviting one person to come to church. And next week, I'm going to increase that number to three. I'm going to invite three people to come to church. And the week after that, I'm going to invite five people to come to church. And as I'm doing that inviting, I'm going to keep a list of all those people's names. And each day, I'm going to pray for those people specifically by name. And at the end of a month, I'm going to increase it even more. I'm going to start inviting people to have a Bible study. you see what that is? That's a whole lot more than, well, I guess I'll try. No, that's a plan of action. That is training for righteousness. That is training to bring about transformation in our lives. And what do we do that? We do that because we want to be brought into conformity with the image of God's Son. You probably cannot be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ this afternoon. But you know what? You could start this afternoon training yourself, taking tangible steps so that you are eventually transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And then finally this morning, probably most significant of all, transformation can only happen whenever you and I are willing to give ourselves up. I was at the gas station, I was at Speedway the other day. And I was pumping gas and the lady that was on the other side of the pump, she was I don't know if she was talking on the phone or talking to somebody in the car. But she was talking about how the town where she lived, it was uh, she was from Florida, and she was talking about the town where she lived, they were about to build a Walmart. And she was really excited about them finally building a Walmart in her town. However, the location where the Walmart was going to be built was going to be right in front of like right next to this big subdivision. And she was talking about how all the people in that subdivision, they had pulled their resources together and they had protested and they had picketed the building of that Walmart. And as a result, Walmart said, okay see you later, we're going to go build Walmart in another town. And this woman, as she was talking about that, and I'm overhearing this, she was really upset about that. She said, and I'm not kidding you, she said, I don't care about those people. I don't care about, it. too bad for them in that subdivision. I need a Walmart. And I'm sitting there and I'm kind of chuckling about that. And I'm thinking, man, that lady's really self-centered. But then I thought about myself. And I thought about how self-centered I am sometimes. How many times have I cut people off in traffic because you know what? I have the right of way. How many times have I pushed myself to the front of the line because I want to be first? How many times have I demanded to have my way within the family instead of yielding to my wife or to others? The truth of the matter is, all of us, all of us can be self-centered and self-willed like that. Well, all of us except one. Look in Philippians 2, please. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us about that one when he writes in verse 5. In Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 5, Paul says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, there are many things that we can do to try and accelerate that transformation process, but I'm going to tell you this morning, this, this one right here, this is the way. This is the transformation that begins every other transformation. That the essence of being like Christ is a willingness to give up self. It is a willingness to give up my rights. It is a willingness to get down and serve rather than to be served. This is the difference maker. Because as long as I'm all caught up in me, as long as I'm all about what I deserve, as long as I'm all about what's coming to me, well then guess what? I'm always just going to be me. And I'm never going to become like Him. I'm never going to become like Jesus. In fact, that attitude is the opposite of Christ-likeness. Paul says so. Look back in verse 3 of that same chapter. Paul says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This idea of, you know what, He cut in front of me. Or you know what? She got the biggest piece. Or I never get to go first. If that sounds childish and petty, it's because it is. But you know what? It also sounds an awful lot like people who say, He didn't shake my hand today at church. I don't ever get asked to lead the first prayer. When's somebody going to recognize me for all the good things I'm doing around here? The key to transformation is i got to stop worrying about self. i got to stop exalting self. I've got to stop pushing myself to the front of the line. I've got to stop fixating on me. And I need to start looking out, in the words of Paul, I need to start looking out for the interest of others. In fact, right here would be a really good place for us to do some measuring and to do some training. Can I ask you to think right now of just one, just at least one area of your life where you are guilty of putting self first. Maybe that's in your marriage and in your home. Maybe that's in your workplace and it's just always got to be your way or the highway. Maybe that's in your relationship within the local church and how you treat your brothers and your sisters. You know what? I'm going to be the big dog around here. The question is... What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? In humility, what are you going to do to start counting others more significant than yourselves and to have the very mind of Jesus Christ? Now, I'll say this. I don't know what OSHA does with churches who have a complaint filed against them about their sound systems being too loud. And I certainly hope that the takeaway from this morning's sermon is not... Josh, is so loud when he's up there preaching. I need to call Osha; That'll take care of his loud mouth. I certainly hope that that is not the takeaway today. But I am certain of this. I am certain that a person can be a Christian for a very, very long time. And a person can convince everybody around them that they look like a Christian, and they act like a Christian, and yet, where it matters the most, deep inside, deep within the heart, they may really just be like Hank. They're just caterpillars. They're not transformed. You may be religious, but if you're not being like Christ, my friend, you haven't been transformed. And I know that. I know that because I know that I need transformation. Which is why my prayer today for myself is that the Word of God will kickstart that process in my life. And it is my prayer that that would be the same in your life as well. Now, as we extend the invitation of the Lord, what some of you maybe need to do right now as you think about transformation is you need to be making the decision, if you have not already, that you know what, I, I want to stop living for myself. I want to start living for Jesus Christ. I need to be transformed. And if that is your mind this morning, then what you need to do is you need to simply walk down the aisle and you need to simply express your desire to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. And I'm going to tell you, if you do that this morning you will be transformed. In one of the most amazing ways, you'll be transformed. You will go from being a destitute, wretched, lost sinner to being a forgiven saint by the grace and mercy of God. How much more of a metamorphosis could you ask for? If, however, this morning, if you are a Christian, but you've been just making a mess of your Christianity... The metamorphosis that maybe began in the waters of baptism, maybe for some reason, maybe it's stalled. Or maybe it's hit a snag or two, a bump in the road along the way. Maybe Christ has not been formed in you. Maybe what needs to happen this morning is some repenting on your part. Maybe that illustration, I realize that illustration of Hank, it's a little far-fetched. But is it possible that maybe that illustration kinda, it kinda stings a little bit? It kind of hits a little close to home because you realize that you're not being transformed into what God wants you to be. Stop fooling yourself. Stop faking it. Stop pretending. Get serious about your walk with the Lord. Repent. If we can pray with you and encourage you, brother or sister, to live in a better kind of way. Help you to be truly transformed into the image of God's Son then we're ready to help you. Whatever your need might be this morning, you simply need to make that known. Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.